1: You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Suby. alongside me, Taylor Dammel. Folks, do not look at the calendar. Don't double take. Don't look at your watch for the date. Don't look at anything that usually tells you the date. It is a Friday and we are coming to you again twice in a week. I told you we're ratcheting up. It's time for conference predictions. Last episode, we did the SEC today, folks. We're diving into the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, a conference which boasts a final four participant seemingly every year. So, we're going to dive into what this conference looks like. And again, same format ACC Coach of the Year, Player of the Year, your eventual champ, and the all transfer team, but fired up to dive into this. And again, we're going to continue to ratchet up the episodes as we approach nearer and nearer to tip off. So, uh, again, Excited to be back, but we're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Taylor, I'm going to bring you in here real quick because the college hooper of the day is Mitch Kupchak. Did you know that he went to Carolina? Did you know he's a former ACC player of the year? I had no clue that – I mean, obviously, he's the GM for the Hornets, but – he was working alongside another UNC guy and Michael Jordan, not just another guy, but I didn't know Mitch Kupchak was a baller in his own right.
0: Well, I mean, it really does. I think we all fall into this. I'm noticing kids younger than us. Uh, you know, as we talk about like coaches in this conference, perhaps maybe a new one to this conference about people who don't remember that they had very successful NBA careers or very successful college basketball careers. Um, who was I thinking about this not so long? Oh, like Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson is another good example of that. Phil Jackson was had a had a standalone career as a player, um, but we don't know him as that at all. Obviously, so yeah, maybe maybe just showing our age more or lack of age in this in this capacity uh, as it relates to Mister Kupchak there. Shout
1: out, Mitch. Shout out, Mitch Kupchak. There, I feel like there's a ton of Charlotte connections, right? Even going back to his day, I don't know if he was. With the Lakers when they drafted Kobe, but technically the Hornets drafted Kobe. And then he went to the Lakers, and obviously he was part of those incredible runs. And then you mentioned Phil Jackson. There's just a lot going on there. But Mitch Kupchak, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CVB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor and let's open the curtains. back. We got the ACC today. I thought the SEC was a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to dive into everything ACC, but let me first start with the fact that this is still the preseason for us, right? And I say that because I got fired up earlier today when Wade Taylor followed me on Twitter. (laughs) Turns out I tagged the wrong Wade Taylor. I tagged the third when we're really hyped and excited for the fourth. And so shout out to Wade Taylor's dad. I hope he becomes a listener.
0: Well, I mean, there are four fun. of them. So it's a it's like an understandable mistake. And honestly, if we're looking at this of a how to reach people, Wade Taylor, the fourth, probably gets tagged in stuff every day. And so he, he probably ignores most of the stuff that he gets tagged in, right? Wade Taylor, the third, probably doesn't get tagged in that much stuff. So, it's probably a good end-around way to get, oh, hey, Wade the 4th, did you see this podcast uh, uh, that these guys picked you to be the player of the year? It could be a good end-around. Um, Sue, but let me just put this in a tactful way. You've always been good with parents. I'll just leave it at that. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'll just let everybody go with that how they want there, uh, especially if you're at a... Bar in Tucson, Arizona, but uh, it could be a good way to reach the players is through the parents. Let's just let's just put it that way. I, I Maybe a sneaky good marketing strategy on your part.
1: Could be. I mean, it's a we may have fallen into something. Hey, can I pivot really hard for a second? Yes,
0: yes. Dick Because I because I, I was going to too. Oh no!
1: Damn it! Damn. Yeah. Let what me is- let me uh, confirm this, but I think I just saw a graphic. Yeah. Dick Buckus being confirmed by a lot at TMZ. That I mean, that is my barometer. That is my go-to when it comes to celebrity deaths. I'm, I'm really not even trying to make light of this, but Dick Buckus, the NFL legend, passing away. And what a look! Just another addition to the woe that is Chicago Bears football. I feel I terrible. Say,
0: a member of one of the last three good Chicago Bears teams. And he played in 1955. <laughs> so, Sad stuff. Yeah, no, a uh, d- uh, formative guy, a uh, formative member of the NFL we watched today. And yeah, the Bears kick off in about an hour and a half too, as we're recording this. So just this franchise just cannot catch any sort of a break at all. Yeah, it it really just, can't. The, the ball keeps rolling down the hill hard. Can I pivot e- even harder than that, real quick? Yeah, if I thought you I'm
1: were good. Gonna- go- you're usually good at break. Like you're the one that breaks the news on this program. So what are you what are you pivoting to?
0: Well I'm focused on something that you are actually going to be super interested in and perhaps that you have maybe put on the calendar to watch or maybe you've already watched it. But that is I watched the first two episodes of Beckham last night on Netflix.
1: Oh that that dropped already? That's the second time I've sounded constipated. That dropped yeah. already?
0: <laughs> yeah yesterday it did. And it's pretty good. It's I gotta uh, watch it. It kind of speaking of our age as we opened this show with um we are very, and you're you were a bigger soccer fan growing up than I was. I kind of started to dive into international soccer fanhood in like that France soccer, or France World Cup year 1998. You know, Ronaldo, Zidane, and all those guys. And Beckham was not quite super international yet. He was only 23 at the time, and so he had he wasn't he didn't have the name cachet in America quite as much as he did. Maybe two or three years after that. Let's just put it that,
1: that way. might be your Alaska showing.
0: <laughs> I mean, he was way more popular internationally in like 2002 than he was in 98, I would say. He was only 23 at the time. Internationally. No, like, internationally. I, 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 I'm not saying in England. Obviously, pe- everybody knew him for years in England is all I'm saying. That's yeah. all I'm getting at. And you were, well, man, you were a Man U fan growing up as because well. Of so. well no, because of him. Because I know. of him.
1: Yeah. Right. No, totally. I got so, I got to get eyes on that, though.
0: So where I'm going with this, though, is – um you kind of remind yourself that David Beckham isn't or wasn't quite what you maybe think he is, you know um, he's an international, you know, superstar at the time was one of the two or three most recognizable, probably athletes in the world, but you kind of forget that he never was like a, he wasn't really like a playboy party guy or anything like that. Like even, and once you watch the show, it's even less than you realize. And then number two is I remember him getting the the red card that he got in uh, in ninety eight uh, against Argentina. But watching the replay again and kind of reminding myself how that all went down, that was like the the weakest red card in the history of soccer. like I can't believe. It's kind of surprising to me, upon in retrospect, the hate that he got from England, and that the ref wasn't the guy that like got hung out to dry, and that kind of just goes to show how huge of softies like current soccer players are. Because what Beckham got a red card for in that game happens 455 times per game uh, in in today's soccer, so in my estimation. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that and remembering that, uh, you know, back in time. Um, but it is interesting to watch how it affected his life and, and going forward. And the whole show is just really interesting. So I just wanted to put that out there in case, because you, I know that you had referenced it on Twitter a number of times, but also to our you know listeners here, it is out and it is worth a watch.
1: Well, I clearly lied because what I said on Twitter was, I will be there no matter what. I wasn't there. I didn't know that it already dropped. I saw a clip circulating on Twitter about how he checks Victoria Beckham because Victoria Beckham says that she grew up in a working class home, uh, not very opulent, not very flashy. And David Beckham's like, can you tell them what car your dad drove you to school in? So that seemed like a funny clip, but I've just thought it was a clip that leaked or, uh, a clip that was shown prior to the actual documentary dropping. So I got to watch it. I will say this about the red card and how he was treated. So I think it's just generally as a fan people have evolved and maybe people our age have evolved in the sense that I feel like in the late nineties and early two thousands, if, if a player did something and they were wrong, even if you could see through uh, personal biases, or even if you said, you know, David Beckham did X, Y, and Z, this player did X, Y, and Z for a, you know, I can see why he did that. Everyone would always err against the player. Like, I feel like generally speaking, Taylor, we're so much more on the player side now. I am at least like I'm, I'm for player empowerment. I'm for, I, I don't care that James Harden is throwing a tantrum with the Sixers. I also don't care that the Sixers, if, if they send him to Siberia, great. But I just think whenever a player gets like in the late nineties or early two thousands, I was always ready and quick to blame the player when in reality, we can take a step back and be like, "Officials actually stink." We have NFL officials today that like do this as a part-time job. We have NCAA officials who grant and uh, transfer waivers or don't grant transfer waivers, and they're a town clerk or a town accountant. Uh, we have we have coaches, we have parents that probably should shoulder more. But we got Trent Dilfer throwing a tantrum on the sideline when in the late 90s, people were probably like, whoa, look how intense and hardcore Trent Dilfer is. And now we're saying he looks like a petulant child. Also, what resume does Trent Dilfer have to be throwing a tantrum like that? Nick Saban, we can understand. What are you doing, Trent Dilfer? So I'm just... The way I look at it is I think people have evolved and matured in terms of how we look at athletes when they commit errors or mistakes or so-called errors and mistakes. uh, Because, yeah, I mean, David Beckham probably got got, – if that happened today, I think David Beckham would have the entire country behind his back and England would have it out for that ref.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, they were hanging effigies, so to speak, of David Beckham in the streets of England. And like, people didn't even want him on the team anymore. I mean, it's splintered. And I remember this a little bit. You know, it splintered between England fans and Manchester United fans. And they couldn't even interact for a while. It's wild. Cause if you look at the play, uh, the Argentine player, uh, Diego Sim- uh, Simone or Simeon or however you pronounce his last name, literally forearm shivered David Beckham in the back of the head and ran him over no card and then david beckham kind of flicks his leg and barely make con makes contact with him and he gets a red card like that in today's world you would have a thousand um, not a thousand a million tweets about like the ref point shaving and throwing the game and and it wouldn't even have been a card in today's world either so i just thought remembering that was super interesting you are correct though i'm not quite I'm about 90% of the player empowerment as you are, because I think there are some situations where I will use James Harden, for example. Like I think that James Harden is just allowing James Harden to do all this type of stuff. Just, just dumb and kind of like people arguing that like Dame Lillard, like has the right to do whatever he wants. He does have the right to do. He has the right to do whatever he wants. That's not what I'm trying to say, but like, everyone is so full on player empowerment that like the players can almost do no wrong now. And I think that's a little too much where it's like, okay, I understand that, um, y- you know, b- we kind of get in and out of contracts really easily and stuff like that. But uh, you can't just move franchises every year and then expect your team to win and be like, well, why can't they build a team around me? It's like, well, dude, because you move every year and then the team gives up essentially their entire future for you and then you're pissed at them why they can't draft anybody. Well, duh, because they gave you what you wanted and now you're complaining that you can't get anything out of it. Well, yeah, because they traded all five first-round draft picks and paid you $70 million and now they have no money and no no. Draft picks. How do they how are you supposed to be built around? So I think that part's kind of dumb where it seems like some people are like, Oh yeah, the players can do no wrong. And it's like, well, I don't think that's accurate as much as uh, as much as people on Twitter. Yeah, I think phrasing is
1: key there, Taylor. So I won't say that they can do no wrong, but I, I just feel like people think and are so warped by hot take television and debate shows where you're supposed to be 10 toes deep on one side of the fence. When in reality, right. life's about nuance. I have, again, I don't care that James Harden is demanding out. I don't care that Dame Lillard demanded out, but on the flip side, I also don't care. Like people saying Joe Cronin needs to do right by Damian Lillard. No, no, I don't, I don't buy that for a second. Joe, Joe Cronin has millions of fans that he has to adhere to. He has, he has, Players in the locker room, like an Ant Simons, like a Jeremy Grant, I think is still on the team. Like players, a Scoot Henderson, uh, Shaden Sharp, that are going to contribute. Like, why should they have to suffer just because you want to do right by Damian Lillard? See, I, like I can play both sides of the fence. Sure. And I think life is nuanced in that respect. Everyone's saying, oh, no, you got to pick a side. You got to be either 100% pro Dame or anti Dame or 100% pro. Like if Daryl Dale- if Morey says... James Harden, put your fat suit away and sit on the bench. That's the game you play, man. Like that, that's what happens. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's hysterical because this is James Harden's fourth rodeo, third rodeo doing this. And he continues to get what he wants. And so that's on the owners and the GMs. He, if he keeps getting away with it, it's like a child who keeps reaching in the cookie jar. And he's going to keep eating those
0: cookies. So I'll rope this back into college basketball, which is what our podcast is about here in just a second. But so I kind of relate it to like cuffing season in reserve in reverse. Right. Like Damon approaching. Yeah. uh, Well, technically, we're already in because it is fall now. So just in case anyone's wondering, um, my cuffing season became became permanent long ago. So I'm just a, a casual observer to the game at this point, obviously. Yes. But um. I'm an analyst. I'm, a, I'm an analyst now. Let's put it that way. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, here. Yeah. If you look over to the left over there, bottle blonde. No. So Dame essentially pulled the, oh, it's warming up. I got to find me. I got to have some fun this summer. I'm not coming back to you, boo. And then went and tried to bag a bunch of ladies all summer. Then realized that he wasn't bagging as many ladies as he thought he was going to. That the grass wasn't greener. And then fall hit literally almost exactly when this all happened to fall hit a shiver uh, came to him a uh, put his vest on and because it started to get a little cold outside and he was like oh man hey hey old girl <laughs> you mind if i come move back in and old girl was like hell no brother like and so then it's so funny that when you I, that's tell first off tell me am i wrong is that like exactly what he did right that's pretty much exactly what
1: according he did. to the haynes report which I I, that's a whole other story is do we believe the mouthpiece for Damian Lillard when he says Dame was, if he Dame increasingly found out that he wasn't going to go to the heat. So then that's when he said, uh, I want to go back to Portland. Now, if it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because it's ridiculous, like that'd be a ridiculous ask from Dame if it was
0: true. Right. I'm just saying Cronin and then people were getting upset that Cronin didn't take him back. Yeah. And it's that's like tough. okay, how would you they've moved on. They've already they've totally. already found new relationships. They've already started to build their team. So how I'm roping this back into college basketball is this is it seems like NBA contracts have gotten so massive now that I think it's I think we're hitting the just like I said, I think that we're hitting the peak for transfer portal stuff. I think we're hitting hitting the peak for like player empowerment in the NBA. Cause this player movement every single year like this is just not sustainable, I don't think because the contracts have gotten so big you get like dame's gonna get paid 60 million dollars this year which is like half the salary cap right and that's just not a sustainable thing to move from team to team to team to team especially with all these guys who are doing it are 33 34 35 36 like th- i'm not sure maybe the next crop of stars will handle things a little differently i'm not sure but i think we're hitting the peak of that type of like nba player that's moving every single year now at the same time the NCAA between last episode and this episode actually shortened the transfer portal window. So that's how I'm roping this back into college basketball is kind of to our point. I think uh, I'm pretty sure our point and that you agree with me that we've, we've, I think the transfer portals peaked in the number of people and number of transfers that really could, could happen in a year. It's just not sustainable for four or five players per team to transfer to another team. There's just not enough roster spots for that to happen, especially as, freshmen continue to get better and better every single year so the NCA did shorten the transfer window to i think it's now just two 45 day periods correct um i, I i'd have to go There's back and check with that.
1: grad grad students as well i think right right but so
0: yeah. so you don't have you're not going to have literally all year anymore right <laughs> which is kind of what it, i know that's not exactly what it was but It certainly felt like it was pretty much just all year. People are like, oh, we're out, we're out, we're out. And now it's kind of confined into a a tighter window. And I think that's a good thing for the sport. I think it was a good thing to to do the transfer portal, but I also think it's a good thing to rein it in a little bit and say, okay, guys, we can't just have a complete free-for-all all all the time, or it's going to water down the product because then nobody's going to know how to build a team because everybody will be moving. At some point, like I said, I'm 90% there on player player empowerment, but at some point someone's got to commit to doing something and stick and stick with it or the whole sport, whether it be NBA or college basketball is going to get watered down because there'll just be no continuity. You no know, for fans. It'll suck. Cause every single year you're trying to relearn every single person on the team. So at yeah. some point this stuff has to be reined in a little bit.
1: Yeah. So to your point about the transfer portal, at a higher level, I think what's great and what we need to appreciate and acknowledge is that there's going to be different iterations of this. Okay. The transfer portal is relatively young. It's super green and there's room for growth. And when I say room for growth, I mean, tweaks, tankers, edits adjustments you ever like let me take you inside the rat race for a second taylor you ever had a deck that you have to present to senior leadership that 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 doesn't get done in one fell swoop in one shot all right it takes updates and updates and that's what we're seeing with the transfer portal the transfer portal has blown up and the transfer rules are getting getting tweaked and so the NCAA is seeing how many transfers or I don't know what drove them to limit this, this period, but they made an iter, they made an update, they made an edit. Okay. And so now because it's ever evolving, it's not something that's set in stone. There's a dynamic feature. All right. I'm using a ton of corporate buzzwords here, which I'm, I should do in my actual nine to five, but like, I, I like that there's different iterations of this different drafts, if you will, right. Go back to, English class in high school or middle school, you had to turn in a couple drafts. That's what we're kind of seeing here, and I mean it's it's a lot more consequential because it's young kids and their futures that are at stake. But th- like I, I think they'd rather this than not than the super strict transfer rules that that we've seen uh, in the past.
0: I would argue that my job is, in fact, the transfer portal.
1: Yeah, home it though. is. Yeah. Home, home to home. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly. true. I like that. I like Gosh. that. The tra- yeah, you are you are the king of the transfer portal, Taylor. All right. Uh, Wade Taylor the third. if you're still listening, this all started with, with you. I, I'm sure we lost him because I think if he was listening, he'd be like, all right, a little chatter about Wade Taylor. But, uh, Mr. Taylor, we talked about your son quite a bit. Last episode, it's time to focus Taylor on the ACC, baby. Like I said, this conference is always producing – a final four team in the recent, in recent memory. And arguably I I would say along with the big East, the one conference in basketball that I I really, I really gravitate, gravitate to when it comes to some of my most fond memories with hoops, college hoops, when it comes to recent success, when it comes to blue bloods, a lot of fun talking to ACC. And we were talking about this before the show, Taylor. When we get to transfers, and we will in a little bit, uh, it's a little more shallow than what we saw in the SEC. And I was listening to last episode. I was basically saying, well, I wouldn't be surprised if in the ACC and the other conferences we look at, there's going to be seven to eight key contributors that are transfers to potential Final Four teams. I don't know if that's going to be the case here with the ACC. It's,
0: it's not. I'll, let me get it out of the way. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not.
1: But, but let's dive in now, though. Same format as last time. T. I'm well, hold on. I'm going to you. interrupt you. Oh, I'm going to okay. interrupt
0: you because I, I I put you on the spot last time. But so before we dive in, you Final know, the question teams? is: Is there a Final Four team? Yes or no? And I, yeah. I specifically don't don't elaborate. Is there a Final Four team in this conference?
1: Yes, because recent history tells us the uh, uh, one of the Final Four teams is going to come from the ACC. Is
0: there? I didn't ask this question on the last one. Is there? more than one final four team in this no, conference. No. Okay. Gotcha. Although right. it's I funny, th-
1: the, the, the last time there were multiple, uh, Carolina had no real business being in the final <laughs> and four. It's yet. It's not, and it's probably not.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the team we would have picked to go. But yeah, so that's my, I would say that this conference- What about you? I would say yes as well. Um, I would say that this conference, each of these episodes is supposed to be standalone in a way, not necessarily in order, but I will say that- um, this this conference, I think, from top to bottom or doesn't have as many good teams as the SEC, but the ceiling is higher for the teams that are good in this conference because, of course, last episode we said no if we had to pick any teams from the SEC and yes for a Final Four team from the ACC. So I would say that if I did an SEC versus ACC, I feel like the SEC would come away with more wins, but the ACC would come away with more Final Fours.
1: So Taylor, let's start with coach of the year. All right. Who you got? Talk to me.
0: I'm going with constantly the most underappreciated coach in these here, United States of America. And that's Miami's own Jim Naga. I feel like, you know, Miami is going to compete for a conference title this year. Um, for For me, this dude hasn't won. Let me go back and take a look at this. This guy hasn't won a coach of the year in since 2016 in the conference. And I mean, that's kind of wild to me that Miami has been a, a, a good team across those time periods. They should finish, like I said, top three in this conference this year. And at some point, despite the fact that there are several new coaches uh, in this conference this year um, that maybe aren't necessarily on teams. Well, one of one of them is coaching a team. That's going to be pretty good. But um I just feel like at some point it's he's got to win another one just because of how good he's been. I know this kind of is anti, what I said in the sec, um, uh, you know, prediction that we were picking a coach that, um, are we saying that, you know, sometimes sustained success doesn't get you coaches of the year award, but I feel like at this time he's got to, like he's got to win one at some point. So I'm going with Jim Larinaga from Miami.
1: I like that pick. I love Laranega. He's the best. He's like your cool grandpa coming off of a final four birth. uh, He's got a couple of those in his lifetime. So I like that just because I like Jim. Uh, I will say, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this as it relates to who we're going to pick for ACC champion. I'm zagging when a lot of people are zigging when it comes to the South Florida teams. I think a lot of people are super high on FAU and Miami. I don't know. FAU has a lot of good experience coming back. I don't know if I'm as high on Miami though. I think losing Isaiah Wong is huge and they're going to be, I don't know if necessarily a rebuild is the right term that he should make the tournament, but I just think, Now it's John Shire's time to shine. And he did a really good job last year in his inaugural season. So that's why I'm picking Shire to win ACC coach of the year. Did they keep me honest here? I probably should have validated this prior, but I think they they went undefeated in Cameron last season. And for... That
0: sounds right, yeah.
1: I think they did. Or they went incredibly deep into the regular season without having lost at Cameron. And for John Shire to do that, year one succeeding a legendary coach is nothing short of incredibly impressive. Okay. And they, again, you, you think of Duke, you think of these, these wins and their record as something that should already be accounted for pretty much taken for granted. Oh, they were undefeated at home. Cool. What's the big deal? Oh, they smacked Oral Roberts. Cool. What's the big deal? Well, let me tell you, they had a first year head coach. I don't think a lot of people were, I mean, they struggled a bit on the road, uh, but then you go to the NCAA tournament, Oral Roberts over Duke was a very, very trendy pick because of what Oral Roberts did against Ohio state. Max Azemus was still there. Go look it up again, folks. Duke smacked them. Absolutely manhandled Oral Roberts. Okay. So don't, you can't play both sides. I know I was playing both sides earlier in our argument. Can't do that now when a lot of people were saying, oh, Oral Roberts is going to give him a run and they didn't. Now, Duke ends up losing to Tennessee, uh, but that Tennessee team is tough as nails and they're returning a lot of those players this season. But for Duke, I just think that they are uh, on paper, on paper, I think they're the best team right here. You got Jeremy Roach coming back. As a senior, he's the leader. Kyle Filipowski, uh, I think Durham was fired up when he returned because of everything he can do. 17 points, nine rebounds. The guy's a stud. Tyrese Proctor, he comes back. Mark Mitchell, he comes back. This is going to be riding a ton of uh, sophomore experience. And, of course, Jeremy Roach as well. So, I really like the makeup of this team. I think they had a year to gel and grow together, and this is all going to be helpful for John Shire because I think John Shire has prepared as much as he can fulfilling Coach K's seat. It's now about, hey, if Shire can get those pesky road victories, which he he struggled with last year, and I think NC State, Raleigh, has been kind of a house of horrors for him and, and, and the program itself. I think they have enough firepower to get John Shire... Uh, Over that hump, and I think John Shire is also a guy that the media loves. They loved covering him uh, as a player, and I think they loved covering him as a coach. I think this is uh, coupled with the fact that Duke has high expectations. They are going to win a lot of games. I think they're a top 10 team in the country, which isn't going out on the limb. Uh, And John Shire, I think, is going to prove to be a really good coach. I think Shire wins coach of the year in the ACC.
0: And what you didn't mention about this Duke team too, is they have four of the top 20 something recruits in the country, uh, or is it five, whatever. They have a lot of great newcomers as well uh, coming in there to Duke that almost all of them, or at least, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. At least one of them is going to be probably the freshman of the year in a conference just because they have the most significant talent uh, or young talent of any team in the in, um In the ACC. So I'm just going to only push back on one thing, and this is not a Shire thing. This is more so just uh, how I potentially look at these situations, right? I think Shire's a great coach. I think he's going to succeed at Duke. I would just like to see it for one more year. Because we there, sure. is at least, there is at least a couple examples in our lives. And he's way better than like a Kevin Ollie. Like I'm not trying to put him in that type of, uh, you, you know, phrasing here or Hubert Davis or whatever. Like Shire's better than Hubert Davis. I think we can both agree w- with that, right? I guess I we'll mean, see. I don't know. I guess, yeah, right. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's a very similar situation than as North Carolina was sure. last year. You know, North Carolina came in with all the hype, S- you know, second year. Second year coach, this yeah. is Hubert's third year, right? Yep. And okay, yeah, they're just going to run. They've got the returners. Armando Baycott is is flip in this in this situation. You know, we've got all these Caleb Love. Oh yeah, Jeremy Roach. All these guys that are coming in. And I'm not well, saying Roach that Roach was Duke.
1: Roach was Duke. Well, I'm sure. Well, we're, no, yeah. no,
0: that's that's what I'm Oh, saying. you're saying for yeah, Duke. I right. see. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, Love yeah, is yeah.
1: Roach. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Right. Yep. So, um, I'm not saying that you know this Duke team in my estimation is better than that North Carolina team was. Cause that North Carolina team made a random run to get to that, uh, to get to that final four, um that national championship game. Um, and Duke was definitely better than what that North Carolina roster was. I'm just saying I will, I'm not, this isn't an anti Duke or an anti shire I'm just saying that like, we have seen this movie a couple times before, and I would like to see it for a year more. And if he continues to bring in the recruits that he does or that he has, this ship will keep on sailing. No problem. Um, you know, Coach K, obviously his name recognition will be there for a long time. Um, and you would expect that not to affect any of the current recruits or whatever, but maybe a couple of years down the line, look to see if Shire can, t- can continue to recruit at that level. But um, I just want to see for one year. And this isn't, again, just for the Duke people that are listening, because we have a number of them. that are always looking for some reason to, to say that we're hating on Duke. I would say this about whatever second year coach, you know, that we would pick for this. Uh, I just want to see it for one more year, and then I'm fully on board with that. So I think that's uh, okay. Yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that, Sue. So, no, I, um, I'll,
1: I'll tell you what, though, uh, it just made me realize my two coaches of the year thus far that I've picked in the SEC and the ACC are going to be two year second year head coaches. I should say I picked Golden in the SEC and now Shire here.
0: Well, it is a little different though because Golden wasn't following. Perhaps legend. the greatest coach in the yep. history of the sport. So that's where I'm saying is like you know like Hubert following uh, following Roy, um, you know it's not the same exact thing, but it's probably as close as we could possibly have. Kevin Ollie following you know following Calhoun, Calhoun. but that's you know, Ollie is just that he's a yeah. misnomer yeah, in his in the in his own way uh, in that circumstance. So um, I think Shire's the 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 shoe in pick generally, or most people would pick Shire, but like I said, I'm a little contrarian and just want to see it.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't mind the Laranega pick either. I'm looking at the ACC. I think Duke, Carolina, Clemson is going to go to the tournament, I believe. Gosh, they should have last year. Um, and they oh, just they're gone.
0: definitely – they're they're. I think you're underselling Clemson.
1: Well, last year they, they should have gone and they just completely died. But, yeah, no, I I don't think I'm underselling Clemson. I, I think I'm naming them in order I'm just of – I'm
0: just saying better like than Clemson's they should go. Clemson's going to the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying I better expect than they them should to. go. Yeah, yeah, right. I think uh, they should have – should- top succeed perhaps in this. Yeah, tournament. Maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, no, I'll, I'll give them like a more constipated noises. I think they're like an eight-seater, but whatever. Clemson's going to the tournament. I think vatex should go to the tournament. And then Virginia, I'll tell you what, Virginia might be a bubble team, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Bennett just coaches circles around everyone and they end up as like a top three team in the ACC. That really wouldn't surprise me. But right now those are the teams that I'm expecting to go to the NCAA tournament from the ACC. And so you, you look at, you look at Jim Laranega, who you said at Miami, Brad Brownell at Clemson last year, should have been the year that he should have been coach of the year. Uh, I guess you. I, I just can't wait around again and again and keep picking he was, him.
0: He was a very high consideration of mine because I think Clemson is going to be exceed expectations this year, yeah. and I,
1: I'd rather I, go with the sure thing in Duke. I know they're going to know exactly,
0: and, or or you know a sure thing, and you know that Larianega is going to be good. You know whether by whether you think Miami is as good as as I think they are, you know that yeah. he's still going to do a good job coaching.
1: And and look, Vatex's the same way. Vatek should have been in the tournament last year with Couture and Padula, but. I, I can't trust Clemson and vatech just yet. Uh, I, I you can trust Jim Larinaga in Miami. You can probably trust North Carolina. Uh, I, I, I fully expect them to be in the tournament. And I actually think on the opposite side of what I, I feel about Miami, uh, my uh, North Carolina. I feel like everyone's so spooked about last year. I think they're going to be pretty damn good this year. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think that's too crazy or controversial, but then there's, there's Virginia, man. Shout out Isaiah Wilkins for coming onto the program. There's always Virginia who where, for now, for me, for right now, I think they're going to be a, a bubble team, but man, Tony Bennett is one of the best coaches in the country today. One of the most underrated coaches still, despite the fact that he has a national title would not be surprised if he ends up winning coach of the year, but I'm going to go Shire. You're going to go Larry complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of age
0: um so let's speaking of age let's talk about some of the new coaches in the conference real quick because there are three of them um uh, probably the most notable or i i would say the most notable is the fact that grumpy old jim boeheim is no longer here and a longtime assistant adrian autry takes over to a syracuse team that actually is probably going to be a little under talked about in terms of their talent they have there they probably got the are, you know, arguably the best Judah. transfer. Well, and they probably oh. got the best transfer in the country, arguably in JJ Starling, perhaps. Yeah, Judah Mintz is obviously there. I'm just going to be excited to see Syracuse in a basketball game that I actually might enjoy watching. Yeah. And I know that this, is, I know That's that Audrey, fair. it's literally
1: <laughs> never happened. <laughs>
0: right. uh, God, especially Syracuse, especially mellow year. Yeah. God, especially right. Syracuse, Virginia games. Just run me over with a truck instead of watching that 49, 46, like, you know, solid defensive. It's going to be like
1: watching the, in the tournament, that crazy comeback too. Uh, Syracuse. It's
0: going to be watching like the commanders bears game that we just referenced earlier, like just bogged down, you know, whatever. So, um, I know that he has been under Beheim for what I think is eight years or seven years previous to this. So I'm sure he'll have some um, similar uh, strategies and whatnot, because obviously this team was recruited to play a certain style and it's hard sometimes to get players to switch what styles become something that they're not in year one, you know, it's and it's almost impossible to understand if he's going to be a good coach or not, because we haven't we have no track record of, of how good he is or not, but I do think Syracuse is going to be a much improved team this year, just given the talent uh, that they brought in with JJ Starling. Um, Any thoughts on that before the other two coaches that we talked about?
1: I disagree. I don't think Syracuse is going to be very good at all. I think they're going to be, and that's not, like, let, give Red Autry a little bit of time to get his bearings, get his recruiting classes in, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Syracuse is going to be down at the bottom with the likes of Louisville and Notre Dame. This is going to be a tough, tough year. They lo- lost Joey Gerrard, who we're going to talk about here uh, in a little bit, but I I don't really see a good season coming up for Syracuse. I'm sorry.
0: No problem. That's why I said that's why I said I'm gonna be go off the off the uh, beaten path here and think they're gonna be a little bit more improved. So now here's another question for you, Sub, because this is gonna be a tough one for you. Of the other two new coaches in the conference, who are you more of a guy for? Is that Damon Stodemeyer or Micah Shrewsbury?
1: Mm, Damon, everything runs through Arizona, baby. But yeah, I referenced it last episode. is gonna have a really difficult time in this first year.
0: Both of, these guys, both of these guys are.
1: Well, poor. I want to say Damon took over a mess, but then that's bringing down another Arizona guy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, neutrally speaking, of course, Georgia Tech. God, I want Georgia Tech to be good again. It's been so long. Like, since Derek Favors, were they any decent since, since he's left? I don't know. Notre Dame, I feel like I've seen them good somewhat recently. God, Georgia Tech. Notre
0: Dame, both of these teams, same color scheme. As well, um, both very high and uh, educational schools, uh, academic schools as well. Um, I never expect Georgia Tech to be good. So that's, you know, anytime that Georgia Tech is good, it's more like a fun treat than anything else. Notre Dame always has these, whether whether rightfully so, where people actually say it out loud or not. Notre Dame always has this kind of like underlying expectation, I think, of them being at least decent. And a lot of times they're not <laughs> Um, they're ca- a surprisingly underwhelming basketball program, really, as a whole, um, just given what the name cachet is of uh, their football team, uh, you, you know, and just kind of uh, the school in general. But, yeah, both of them, very tough years for Damon Stoudemire and, and, Adrian, or, and um, uh, Mike Shrewsbury.
1: Shrewsbury. Yeah, uh, I'll be rooting for them both, though, heavily. Don't worry. Yeah. Michael Shrewsbury is going to draw up some blob play or, uh, an ATO play that I'm just going to like, is going to knock my socks off and I can't wait to tweet about it. So love those guys. All right, Taylor player of the year, P O Y who you got?
0: Well, it's a guy we talked about already, but he doesn't play for Duke and I'm going to go with Armando Baycott. Um, Filipowski is, I think the odds on favorite. And actually I think he's the favorite to one of the several favorites to win national player of the year. Uh, as well but uh, as we talked about with Tennessee on the last program and just a number of players like a Wade Taylor as well Baycott's 22 years old I mean it's a 23 he's a fifth year senior he's a guy that um has averaged double doubles in each of his last two years I believe he's been a First team, all ACC player. I mean, he's got the experience. He's been to a title game. He's, and, and quite honestly, probably in, in a good way, he's seen the very ups and very downs of a lot of teams. And that's probably a good thing for a leader, you know, older guy to see where it's like, Hey, uh, you know, last year having, playing with a guard like Caleb Love, who's kind of a chucker, um, You know, having to deal with that and then also dealing with the positive sides of a guy like Caleb Love too, where they brought him to a national championship game or, you know, the previous year. So I think that some stability in Hubert Davis being in his third year, even though I just kind of talked down on him a few minutes ago, I think that if he is going to be a good coach, the stability uh, of him being there uh, through year three is a good thing for Armando Baycott. And, um, you know, a couple of transfers that they brought in should should be helpful uh, um, as well. So I'm going to go with Baycott.
1: I like that pick, baby. I'm going Baycott as well. It was really between him and flip, but I'm going to go with Armando Baycott, the super senior, the guy who's been there forever. Like you said, he's been an anchor. He's a Carolina legend, which is tough to do. He is this waves or this quote unquote generation, whatever you want to call it. I'll call it this waves. Tyler Hansborough. He really is. Now he hasn't won a national title, but he's the all-time leading rebounder in North Carolina history. Anytime you're the all-time anything in North Carolina history, you have a remarkable, remarkable pedigree. It's insane, Taylor, that Armando, to me at least, that Armando hasn't won an ACC player of the year before. I was looking this up, and I was like, the only reason why I wouldn't take Armando Baycott is maybe because of voter fatigue or because it's very difficult to win two in a row, I think Grant has two in a row with Tennessee, and I think JJ Redick won two in a row or two with Duke. But I was I was assured personally that Armando Bacot had won an ACC player here. That just wasn't the case. So yeah, I'm going to go with the guy who's been around forever, and he's probably owed one. He's he's due. At this point, Armando Bacot. Uh, so I'm going to take him. I you mentioned the transfers first and foremost, and he'll be mentioned again. But Harrison Ingram, I think that's going to alleviate a lot of pressure offensively for Bacot. And I think at at points he was the go to guy down low for Carolina. He's not. He's Armando Bacot's not like the the best offensive weapon. Harrison Ingram's pretty damn good. We've seen him at Stanford being Pac-12 guys. But I think that's going to alleviate a lot uh, and and open it up for Baycott. I also think Elliot Cadeau, the fabulous freshman, the newcomer for Carolina, is going to be electric. We've heard a lot about him in the offseason. And Riley Davis, who's been on the program, North Carolina guy, he's been tweeting a lot about Elliot Cadeau. So I think whenever you have that Big, small matchup, or not matchup, but tandem, I suppose, that's always going to benefit both parties, but certainly the big. And then, of course, RJ Davis and him have such a great rapport, and RJ Davis is back. So I'm expecting uh, it's whatever the opposite of voter fatigue is. It's like the Joel Embiid effect. All right. Joel Embiid's like, gosh, here, fine, take the MVP. I think at this point, ACC people and Baycott's going to put up some really big numbers. What did he average last year? 16 and 10, which is d- very impressive. He's going to be doing the same thing, if not better. I, I think he's finally going to be able to get his ACC player of the year. Barely edging out Kyle Filipowski, and I'm sure uh, that won't lead to any mean things said on Twitter between those two schools.
0: So. Philipowski has a little bit more of a talented roster around him too uh which you know this north carolina roster is very talented and i think this roster is very stable which i like people you know a guy like cormac ryan who's literally turns 25 years old before Insane. the start of in here in a less than a month and three weeks you know like you said him ingram rj davis uh elliot i can't believe you didn't say co what up dude? Uh, yeah um, this team just feels a lot less frantic than the last couple north carolina teams have been and not to bring up caleb love again but it, a lot of reasons because you don't have a guy like him on the roster where it's like oh this guy might chuck it from anywhere and so yeah, that's our, that
1: we get to have fun with that now
0: that's our boy now so um absolutely even though in our lives we've always just wanted some guy to pull up from anywhere, but that's fine. That's, yeah, we'll get no, to that. He's on our guy. Podcast. Yeah. Right. So, but this team just feels really grounded to me, really stable, just a bunch of kind of more no nonsense people where, you know, a guy like a uh, Cadeau is not going to have to come in and light the world on fire. Cause he's literally playing with 23, 24, 25 year olds on the roster. Um, Baycott is still their best player, obviously. Um, in, you know, in my estimation, um, you, you know, it's still going to be probably go through RJ Davis, you know, um, at the end of the day, but Baycott's going to be there as a good anchor in the middle, both offensively and defensively. And, and like I said, Philipowski, he's, he's going to be right there. It's kind of a one, a one B type of type of thing, I think, but his, his roster is going to have a lot more, uh, natural talent on it. Let's call it. It doesn't have a 25 year old Cormac Ryan. Right. And so I think he's going to have a little uh, a little more mouths to feed than maybe the North Carolina roster is, which should lead to a couple more shots per game that for for Baycott versus Philpowski.
1: A lot of this is going to hinge on the fact that Carolina has to bounce back as a team, though. They need also, to yes. be far better than they were last year. I'm talking consistently ranked. I don't think they're going to be a top 10 team week in and week out like I expect Duke to be. But if they fall out of the rankings, people are going to forget about Armando Baycott. They're going to start forgetting about Hubert Davis, and they're going to be a little tired of Carolina and this same crew running it back, running it back, trying to convince us, no, 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 that title run was not a fluke. So wins is going to be huge, as it is for any potential player of the year. But for this Carolina team, they have so much to prove somehow for and and Baycott still has so it's it's crazy how last year almost reset them it, it almost reset this entire like it almost wiped away what they did prior. Now I'd kill for a final four and a title game appearance, but what they did last year uh, a lot of it was erased in the eyes of many. So they are they're, they're back to it being a prove it year certainly for Hubert Davis. Uh but yeah, we're both on Baycott. Let's go to teams now, Taylor. Speaking of wins and losses, who's going to get the most wins uh, in this conference and end up being the champion.
0: You know, I wanted to fight it as any way as I possibly could, but it's got to be Duke. I know that they're not the end all be all of the world in the regular season title, which is kind of a funny thing, just given their success over the course of time, but they've got all the parts. They've got all the parts. I mean, they've got an arguably best player in the country, They've got experience at the guard positions. They have young talent. There's really not too big of a hole in this roster, any holes in this roster. Like we talked about should be a top 10 team, a team that I think is the final four team from this conference. Clearly the highest ceiling with the amount of talent that they have. And it's just going to come down to, in my estimation. Yeah. Is Shire the coach that we think he's going to be, or is he not? And, you know, despite what I said about him earlier, I, I think it's hot more than likely he is than he isn't. And, I just couldn't get around you know Duke I tried to figure out if I wanted to smoke that Nigel pack in Miami uh, if I wanted you know if I want to go with Tony Bennett surprising us all at Virginia you know all, all these it
1: sounded things. like you wanted to go Clemson.
0: yeah like uh, PJ Hall right I you know returning speaking of like 29 year olds um, you know a lot of a lot of talent right behind them in the teams that are like two through five two through four in this conference think that they're all going to be more similar. Those two through five teams that will finish in the conference. Like you said, you know, a North Carolina, could they finish as high as second? Yes. Could they finish as low as fifth? Perhaps, you know, and I, I think you can apply that to a number of the teams in this conference. I don't think that applies to Duke though. I think Duke is far, is far in a way that the best team in this conference and they will win this conference. And I would even argue that they'll win it by multiple games.
1: Wow. Okay. So I was toiling. And wrestling, and pulling my hair out in in picking this, and I'm going out on a big limb. I think, and I'm wow. taking I'm taking Carolina.
0: Wow. Okay. And
1: I know it doesn't make a lot of sense if I have John Shire winning Coach of the Year, and I think Duke is going to end up with more total victories because I think they're going to perform well in out of conference. I just think Carolina. And their veteran leadership is going to be just a little bit, a little bit better than, than Duke's uh, Duke's makeup. And Duke has the guys that have experience. I mentioned them. The thing is that they're all sophomores. They don't have the same experience as Cormac Ryan or Harrison Ingram, who brings a different vantage point from from what he was able to do. He he's had to carry Stanford the last few years. Uh, Cormac Ryan's had to do something similar with Notre Dame. R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, we've talked about them. And then I know I'm I'm waxing poetic about the upperclassmen, but Elliot Cadeau, the freshman, uh, I think he's going to be a real shot of life for them. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, like, it was tough. So when you said Duke's going to win this conference by multiple games, I definitely disagree with that.
0: Well, but, uh, yeah, well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think Carolina is going to win by multiple games. I think it's going to be a neck and neck race between those two. Would you say gonna it's going to be like a
0: North Carolina beats Duke? That'd be a great story if this is how it turns out. If North Carolina beats Duke in the last weekend of the season to win the <laughs> ACC title type of type of closeness the, to this.
1: The rivalry always delivers, Taylor, so I wouldn't put it past them to like for that to happen. The rivalry always delivers, but I don't know if that'll, that might be a little too fairy tale for my liking. I just think that everyone is so low on Carolina and I feel like if I were betting, right, this would be a great value because quiet as it's kept, I don't think they're that far behind Duke in terms of talent, in terms of how many games they can win. I think Duke may win overall, three more games than them. I could see Duke maybe as like a 25 win team. I see Carolina as a 22 win team, essentially. Uh, I just don't think the gap is that far. And I think people have this recency bias that they want to throw Carolina away in the garbage. And because Duke brought back Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor, which were huge, I think people thought that they were out the door. It's almost like Toy Story where where Andy's like, I'm done with Woody. I'm done with Armando Baycott. I'm done with RJ Davis. I'm done with Hubert Davis. I want to see what Kyle Filipowski can bring back, what Tyrese Proctor can bring back. I just think there's so much value there for Carolina. They're going to have a chip on their shoulders. I'm taking them to win the ACC. This is one of those deals, though, Taylor, where it could blow up in my face magnificently. I'm talking about one of those fifth-grade science projects you do with with the vinegar and the clay of the volcano Pompeii, and it just explodes in your face. That very well could happen with this Carolina pick, but damn it, I'm in on the heels.
0: So, you're not a betting man, but I would say that, and, and maybe some listeners would argue that you're trying to hedge your bets here so you don't go 0 for 3, that you got to pick North Carolina for one and Duke for the other. I'm not saying that oh, that's what you're doing. Bad, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying that it's going to be hilarious if Miami wins the conference and neither and of these teams win, win it or something like that. So, um, yeah, I would say if North Carolina, just from an argumentative standpoint, if North Carolina wins the conference, Hubert Davis is going to win the coach of the year. I think that's pretty... I I don't see any way around
1: that. Yeah. I suppose my logic's flawed, but I'm not saying it's flawed. I'm just saying
0: that's what my opinion is. Okay. I'm not saying that that your opinion is wrong. I'm just saying my opinion is that if North Carolina is that good and they are preseason, what are they top 15 or they're probably going to be top 15 in the preseason rankings this year. Carolina. Um, Yeah, I think so. Top 15 or top 20. And they have a great schedule too. They they play a Tennessee. That's going to be a fun game. Talk about two old, ass rosters that's actually that will be a speaking of like um i
1: hope they go color on color by the way baby blue and oh, the, the orange be- beautiful
0: oh. it's in the dean dome too um yeah I, or I, I believe it's in the dean dome it's not at uh let me see let me there double check know. on that yeah whatever neither here nor there um we'll find it they're, it's going to be,
1: uh, no they're home
0: yeah it's in the dean dome so um that and that's going to be a game where it'll be annoying. It'll be drink every time they talk about how these rosters are older than NBA rosters. That's what that game is going to be, especially with Cormac Ryan being out there literally older than 25 is quite, quite literally older than half the players in the NBA. And, and, and that's not even, that's not even a joke. Like that's, that's a true statement. And so I, I know man. If, look, awesome if, if,
1: <laughs> if Cormac needs some pointers on like those, like the PowerPoint drafts that I was talking about earlier, like when he eventually comes and join me, joins me in the cube, potentially uh, he can holler at me if he needs to, but yeah, I don't know. Like the, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, I'm going out on a limb, I think with this.
0: Uh, I I mean, I don't know if it's that big of a limb to pick the, 14th team, 15th team yeah. to win their conference. It's going out on a limb, maybe to say that they're better than Duke specifically, though. So I mean, I guess you could say it's going out on a limb, but I just I just think that this Duke team and I hope that a lot of my Duke people or our Duke people are listening to me say this. Okay. Because yeah. everyone just thinks I'm a Duke Kissing hater 20, 24-7, 365. But I can recognize when a team is good and when it's not. Okay. Now, they do Duke does have a guy named TJ Power coming in who does look like maybe the next the next white hated Duke player. <laughs> <laughs> so at least Shire is keeping that up as well. I just wanted to bring that up before we move on. That is the that, brotherhood. That that they exact that they just keep uh matriculating these these players through the through the school there. And, and I, but you know, like I said, and like we talked about on the last podcast too, like be who you are. And, and and I like that they always continue that hey, we're gonna be hated. We're the Alabama football, we're the whatever. You know, if, if we're gonna be hated, let's be hated then.
1: So I guess my logic is Shire and Duke are going to keep it incredibly close. uh, And it might come down to a tiebreaker situation or like one game where they end up losing the conference to Carolina. And that's why Shire is going to win coach of the year. And then champ is Carolina player of the year, Baycott, because he's on the best team. So we'll see. uh, We'll see if that comes to fruition. But I'm glad that we were opposite there. But this is two episodes in a row where we've both picked the same uh, conference player of the year. It's going to be a lot of fun, Taylor. Uh, Transfer time now. All right. This ACC all transfer team, I got to tell you, it's not as good as the SEC.
0: I don't think. Well, (laughs) it's it's a little easier to identify. Maybe the five best players are equal, right? But past that significant drop. Well, so here's the interesting part about this though, and and we we talked pre-show about this um as it relates to transfers. So um the it's interesting that two of the guys in Cormac Ryan and JJ Starling uh transferred within the conference from Notre Dame to North Carolina and to Syracuse. Um that rarely happens, and so talk about differences that the transfer portal makes um and then secondarily, all these guys came from big schools, big basketball schools. In fact, you would call them some of the best basketball schools in the country, you know, like a Hunter Salas from Gonzaga, uh, Primo Spears from Georgia. Well, Georgetown's not the best right now, but, um, you, you know, and a, a Harrison Ingram from Stanford, a guy that we watched a lot last year. So it's really interesting that if you look at the transfers in the SEC, they were all, you know, North Dakota State, you know, northern Colorado guys who were, had shown what they were at, in a smaller level and are trying to grow into that larger scene. These guys have all been through major schools um, and are now just transferring to other major schools. So I don't know if there's a, a, a difference between the two, because of course, there's the argument where it's like, well, if you weren't good at Notre Dame, why would you be good at Syracuse? You already played the same competition, right? So I would have transferred away from Syracuse or wouldn't have transferred to Syracuse until Beheim left anyway. Cause it's not like he was going to showcase your skills in any way, shape or form. Um, because his sons are his son's still on the roster. I, I assume not. They're gone. Um, they're gone. <laughs> imagine, imagine being a five-star and being like, Hey, actually did you, my sons are on the team. So we're going to go ahead and let them play until they're 25.
1: Syracuse like, is now officially <laughs> Bayheim
0: free. Yeah. Thank God. But so my top five though, are the ones I just, are, uh, just read off. And it's JJ Starling. Um, who is at Syracuse, Harrison Ingram, North Carolina, Cormac Ryan, North Carolina, Hunter Salas at Wake. And I'm going to go with Primo Spears at Georgetown. And then as a, or uh, excuse me, Primo Spears, who transferred from Georgetown. And then uh, as a, just because we were talking about Damon Stoddenmeyer, I do want to point out the past the Kawasia, Don't call me Reeves Nelson. Don't cause me, call me Austin Reeves. Reeves, um, yes. choose to transfer from Florida um, it, should have a good year for Georgia, you know, a team that's rebuilding um, has great hair, which is something that I'm all about as well. So Kawasi Reeves is is a honorable mention on this list.
1: Build them up, Damon, get Georgia Tech back going. Uh, I like that list. So here is mine in order of, I think, impact and what I'm expecting, you know, in terms of how they're going to help contribute winning to winning. Excuse me. I'm going to go one Harrison Ingram coming from Stanford. Over to North Carolina, Harrison Ingram is like a model of consistency. He wasn't a world beater at Stanford. He's a pain in the ass in the sense that he's going to get a bucket and he's going to get a rebound and he's going to make a big play every single time his team needs it. And there have been a lot of battles between Stanford and Arizona where where Harrison Ingram was in the fold and in the mix. But I talk about consistency. Over the last two years, he's averaged 10 and half points, uh, 2.3 turnovers, essentially the same uh, number of fouls each game, same number of steals each game. Like his stat line reading of 21 to 22 to 22 to 23 is wildly consistent. And I expect that to be the case again at Carolina, maybe a small little bump, but I expect him to be a really impactful, solid contributor alongside we've talked about the roster ad nauseum, but RJ Davis and and Baycott and, and Elliot Cadeau for, the eventual ACC champs. So I'm starting off with Harrison Ingram. I'm then going to go with Joey Gerard. Joe Gerard, baby, coming down to Clemson from Syracuse lights out shooter. I love Joe Gerard shooting the basketball. Uh we will see how that Another
0: conference to conference transfer though, or within Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh and uh, you know, t- just transferring shades of orange, but he averaged 16 last year. Doesn't really do much else but score the basketball. But that's going to be a huge get for Brad Brownell, a deep threat uh, to replace some of the artillery that they lost last year. I'm blanking on on the guy Tyson, uh, might be Tyson Hunter who went to the Nuggets. Uh, but I mean, big big loss there for Clemson. But they, re, they replenished here with Joe Girard, and I expect Clemson, like we said, to be a tournament team. I expect Joe Girard to be uh, an integral piece of that. name we haven't mentioned just yet at all, who I think is one of the most talented uh, transfers and players in this league. Another intra conference transfer. We're going to go with Matthew Cleveland, Matthew Cleveland going from Florida state to Miami Uh, all around really good player. I think he he was basically a 14 and seven guy last year. I think he's going to be, a really nice fit for Laronega and probably contribute to that uh, coach of the year nomination that you, you so desperately need from him. But I think he's the perfect type of player there for, uh, for the Canes. So I like this fit more than anything, but Matthew Cleveland's just a really good player. This is where it gets a little difficult for me, but I'm going to go Dante Harris. You mentioned Primo Spears transferring from Georgetown into the ACC. So did Dante Harris, Dante Harris came over from, Uh, Georgetown to Virginia, Um, and he's just a really nice, really nice guard. Okay, averages almost five assists per game last year. He can rebound the ball pretty well for a guard too. He's got four uh, last year and scores all right at a decent clip with twelve. So he's a twelve four and four guy, which is a nice contributor for uh, Tony Bennett's team. I really like Dante Harris. Uh, as a transfer. And then last but not least Taylor, I'm going to agree with you here with Primo Spears, Primo Spears. I, I feel like him and Dante are kind of like out of prison and out of jail where they're now freed from Georgetown basketball and they can really flourish. They can shine. They can win basketball games. Uh, we'll see what Florida state does, but certainly Virginia, um, much better coaches. No offense to Patrick Ewing, but Len Hamilton and and Tony Bennett are are a step above
0: Patrick Ewing. Did, but did you need to say no offense to Patrick Ewing? The guy was zero like one game two years ago. I love
1: Patrick Ewing though. He's 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 a B, Big East legend. But Primo Spears was he got the small small vote over DJ Horn, uh, transfer to NC State from ASU. I think he's going to be really good, but. Those are my 5. is Harrison Ingram, Joe Girard, Matt Cleveland, Dante Harrison, Primo Spears, real quick Taylor. I want to highlight some other potential impact transfers. I mentioned Horn, but Ishmael Leggett, Leggett, excuse me, coming over to Pitt from Rhode Island, Robbie Barron from Northwestern to Va Tech. Trey White transfers from USC to Louisville. Julian Roper, I saw a couple of his games here being in the Chicago area. He transfers from Northwestern to Notre Dame. J.J. Starling, who you mentioned. Kawasi Reeves, who you mentioned. Kevin Miller from the Chips. Fire me up Chips to Wake Forest. Uh, don't sleep on him. And then Claude L. Harris, Charleston Southern to BC. I don't really expect uh, those teams to be that great, but watch out for those as transfers
0: what do you, I mean, is there anything to make of, maybe we just haven't thought about this in depth enough, but is there anything to make of all of these intra-conference transfers? I just think that's such a- Good, it, good point. It's, it's such a strange situation. It's certainly something that we never would have seen and never, actually never saw, essentially, uh, before two years ago, because that was always, you know, a strict transfer rule for 98% of schools out there is you cannot transfer transfer to another uh, school within the conference. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's almost like the better schools in the conference just picked out all these players they liked from the, from the worst teams in the conference and said, Oh yeah, we'll take you and we'll take you, you know, you're cool. You're cool. You're cool. F you. You're cool. You know, one of those type of deals. I don't know if it says something of the greater, if this is going to continue to happen because there were a couple turnovers of coaches this year, but I just think that's gotta be super notable. I, I can't imagine again with the caveat like we said on the last episode that i haven't dove into every single transfer of every single conference yet but i can't imagine we're going to see that many impactful transfers from school within the conference to school within the conference would you say
1: yeah this was pretty shocking you're right uh i would give credit i suppose to david stottermeyer because i don't i don't know if i saw a ton of georgia tech transfers and the reason i bring that up is because obviously they you know josh pastner is gone um and so I think the most surprising one I was I, I, I looked at was Matthew Cleveland because I was about to say it's gotten to the point now, Taylor, where you don't transfer to a rival. Like I don't think we'll see for a very long time Duke going to UNC or Louisville to Kentucky, things of that nature. Matthew Cleveland went from from Florida State to Miami. I think he even did the the U down sign this past year when they beat Miami uh, in Coral Gables. So I was I was shocked when that happened, and it's going to take some time, I guess, to see him in that uniform. Interesting, interesting transfers. All right, T, let's get on out of here with some ACC trivia. Grill me.
0: All right, so this one's going to maybe be a little easier than the other one. We're going to start. Appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna throw you. I don't know if it's a softball, but uh, we'll see if you feel like it is. Can you name? Jeez, if I can learn how to use a computer, can you name the school that is of the original, the original ACC teams, not any that have joined in the last six, five years, whatever, with the least number of conference players of the year, or conference player of the year awards?
1: Okay. School with the least amount of conference players. This is certainly not a layup. Uh, Let me think here. Let me take a look, go down the gamut of uh, these teams. Off the top of my head, jeez, let me, uh, I'm going to start with Florida State.
0: Well, they haven't been around since 1953, which is when the ACC started. And no, that is incorrect. They still even, in fact, have more than this school. Three more than this school that's been with the ACC since its beginning. And Florida State's been there since
1: 1994. Okay. I'm trying to think if Virginia Tech was in another conference prior to this. So I'll guess Virginia Tech.
0: They've been around since 2004 and have more conference players of the year than this school.
1: When did Virginia, where was
0: Virginia Tech prior to this big East? Uh, where was Virginia Tech uh, before this? Um, I, <laughs> I don't have that history uh, uh, pulled out. That's, That's fine. Hang or I should say they have the same amount of players of the year as this school.
1: Since. Okay. uh. Is it Clemson?
0: Clemson has yeah. won. One. And I'm trying to go with football schools there. You want to know what's incredible, too, in that is that South Carolina, who hasn't been a member of this conference since 1970, has more conference players of the year than, than Clemson. The only schools that haven't won um, uh, basketball player of the year are Louisville, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Syracuse. Um, you know, I mean, they've... schools that have all joined as of recently right so yeah clemson won since 1953 pretty
1: wild is it harvey grant
0: horace grant is it a
1: horace grant Mm -hmm. one of the grants
0: Mm -hmm. i believe it's horace grant yep okay so um all right number two and this is um this is going to be kind of an interesting one and it's something that we've talked about this is it's a little more specific so i will also say that um Clemson has the least amount of coaches of the year of the original teams as well. They've only had two, which is crazy. Um,
1: I can't quit Brad Brownell, dude. I made it the reference last year. He's Vince Vaughn on the Roman rings in old school, just barely holding on.
0: So this is a very specific question about Duke. So first off, Duke does not have the most coach of the year awards in this conference. North Carolina does. But the question is, when was the last time a coach from Duke won the ACC Coach of the Year award? I know it's a little specific, but. So it has to
1: be K. Just what year? Um, hmm. This is kind of a shot in the dark. So let's think. I don't think it. The thing is that there's so many contributing factors to K not winning every single year, like fatigue, plus the ACC has other amazing coaches. Right. certainly not their success. Uh, I don't know. I'll say, I'd say 2000. uh, I'm going to go, what year was red? I'll say 2006.
0: Well, let's put it this way. You didn't have to take your shoes off to get on a plane. That's how long it's been.
1: Holy shit.
0: 2000. The year 2000 is the last time a coach from Duke has won the ACC Coach of the Year Award. Oh, that Shire Shire
1: pick is so bad now. In hindsight.
0: (laughs) Here are some coaches just over the course of time that have won coaches of the year in the ACC. And I won't list them all, but uh, Greenberg has won two. Herb Sendek, (laughs) Skip Prosser, Paul Hewitt, Leonard Hamilton has won a couple. Tony Bennett has won the most. He's won four in that time period. Josh Pastner has won one. Mike Young, Steve Forbes, Jeff Capel, uh, obviously, Capel, you know, K wasn't uh, wasn't there uh, anymore. But just whew, the fact oh, that like Seth Greenberg, Dave, La- <laughs> what's his face? Dave, how do you say his name from Virginia? Lato? Lato. Oh yeah, Leto. He won one in there. He won Lato one. Won, he won Whoa. one. Going eleven and five in conference.
1: <laughs> what? Who is he the coach of? I just know him from Ver- DePaul. Virginia. Was-
0: Virginia. Yeah. Seth Greenberg won coach of the year. This tells you how much the fatigue was. Seth Greenberg won coach of the year in the ACC going eight and eight in conferences. With JJ Redick Redick and and those guys on a a Duke team in two thousand,
1: How am I sitting here feeling bad for coach K.?
0: I know two, He you went 20 21 seasons without consecutively without this guy won gold medals in the Olympics. Like <laughs> like that's uh, crazy. Yeah. So won a couple national championships uh in that time period as well. Um, yeah. what two three two, three Since, well, so 2001, two thousand yeah, one, two thousand ten. and yeah.
1: yeah. fifteen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So three national championships, uh three gold medals. <laughs> No conference coach of the year awards. What though, in the in world? Man?
1: Well, so yeah. the thing—the thing that's most troubling is that I just figured it would be spread out amongst like the Wake Forests or the Carolinas, and I'm fine with Herb Sendek, I suppose, there at NC State, also. But you, I guess you got to account for those. I mean, Virginia and South Greenberg were the epitome of a bubble team year in and year out, and like you said, you finished 500 in conference and you won the ACC coach
0: of the year huh? so i'm a little bit like i think leonard hamilton's been a pretty good coach in conference yes. right okay, yes well he has more acc conference coach of the year awards than roy williams did it's got a couple, it's a couple be, of national yeah. champions in there you know as well and in fact tony bennett has four again great great coach arguably the best coach in yeah. this conference arguably the best coach in america if some some could say yeah. he's not but you know he's up there um Tony Bennett has four. Coach K only had five in his career. So I think most people would take coach K's career over. Yeah. Leonard Hamilton only has two less <laughs> ACC coach of the year awards than coach K.
1: That's crazy. So,
0: yeah. Paul. So I, I was, I was perusing for, I was trying to get something around coach of the year, but when I saw the the oh, list, that was like you gotta be out of your mind thinking that like a, a coach for Duke hasn't won the coach of the year award Twenty-three years now.
1: I thought I was way overshooting it by saying 2006. I don't even know if they were that good in 2006. Was yeah, I
0: don't. Know, like but Paulus still. I mean, yeah. You mean f- former uh Syracuse quarterback Greg Paulus?
1: I do. That's, speaking of same.
0: speaking of intra conference transfers, not one that is. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah there you go. There you even,
1: go. That's called it. Well. I was going to say he he laid the blueprint, but Syracuse was in the Big East, right? Oh,
0: shit. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
1: <laughs> Conference realignment. Damn baby. it. We damn it. it. Yeah.
0: Next, right. year, this, next year, these trivia questions are going to be a disaster. Like I said, on Complete last week, disaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, Taylor. A blast as always. That's putting a bow on the ACC. What say we do Big Ten next? You okay with that? Can we do Let's Big do Ten? It. Let's do it. B- Big Ten coming down the chute next week. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.